Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you're trying to influence people to get something done, I know that having a better understanding of the different styles of people that might be involved can actually lead to a smoother journey. And in fact, it's one of the things that I try to help people I'm coaching with regularly is understand how to understand individual styles and then how to adjust what you do to the style of other people. So I am always looking for a new language that helps you describe individual approaches, personalities, profiles and styles. So that's where we're going to start today with five leadership architects followed by the four devils of people stuff. And I think you're going to find that this is going to give you lots of clues about how to stay calm under pressure and also how to drive structures that are going to work more effectively for you. My guest today is Zoe Roth and Zoe is one of Australia's leading experts on people stuff. In other words, she says, the stuff that gets in our way of producing results and the stuff that lights us up. She believes that developing the people skills is the gateway to better decisions and greater results. Zoe's worked with lots of teams internationally and in Australia as well since 1987. And as she says, from the wild rivers of northern Ontario to the remote reaches of Australia, Zoe has spent the last 30 years showing teams struggling with office politics and silos how to work better together. Can't we always use that? Zoe is the author of now four <laughs> books. One is called Composure, How Centered Leaders Make the Biggest Impact. Second is called Moments, Leadership When, matters mo- when It Matters Most. Third is called Loyalty, Stop Unwanted Staff Turnover, Boost Engagement, and Build Lifelong Advocates. And her latest book, People Stuff, Simple Tools for Better Leadership. And I should also say Zoe's an outdoor adventurist, telemark skiing. She's run six marathons, a one-time belly dancer, and she loves hiking in the high country. So Zoe, welcome to the show. Wanda, I'm so thrilled to be here. It's with pleasure. I am looking forward to this. I can't wait to hear the architects and the devils. That sounds exciting. Before I go there, I want to know a little bit about you. Why do you care about this topic? What got you thinking about architects and devils? Archetypes, excuse me. Um, Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, archetypes. (laughs) Architects and devils. Well, uh, my, my first job, which was at Orange Julius in a mall in Winnipeg in Canada, I learned really what it was like to bump up against other people. And sometimes that was pleasant and sometimes it was unpleasant. And every time I worked with clients or customers, um, it was an opportunity to have a good or bad experience. And I think ever since then, I've been really obsessed with what drives people, what lights them up, what, what turns them into nasty people. Um, because, you know, serving Orange Julius every day, you'd have a huge variety of people. Some people were very happy, and some people were just grumbly and miserable. And it's like, what's happening for these folks? And why is it that some people show up this way? So this question of what, what creates people has stayed with me throughout my career. And getting to this point now of writing my fourth book, I really wanted to unpack 
um, the layers of drivers that create these behaviors that are sometimes useful and sometimes not. And the archetypes are ones that help us um, live into better leadership um, attributes, and the devils are the things that distract us and detract from our leadership. That's sort of where the origin was. Okay, Orange Julius in a mall selling orange-flavored or orange-based <laughs> drinks. For I can imagine people who are in various stages of grumpiness. Um, do you believe that people just have that person, like they're always sour, always irritant, or always light and happy? Or do you think it's the situations, the circumstances that bring out characteristics in people? Oh, that's a really juicy question. Uh, I don't think that people are just chronically sour, and that's how they're wired. Um, I think all of us have are responding and interacting with our circumstances um, and our products of our past history and our past patterns. And I think repeated experiences create these patterns that we live into if we are unconscious to them. If we become conscious to them, then we can change those patterns. We can change our outcomes. I think we can tend to default to a, uh, a, a default emotional level. I think that's possibly true, where we might have some people who fluctuate between exhilarated and, and content, say, for example, because that's their sort of set point, and others might be more in the grumble bump category. But I think that's, it's, a, it's a result of a repeated pattern as opposed to hard wiring. Um, there's probably a combination between the two, but I think it's all movable. Um, and I think that the key is to become conscious and to become curious about what our patterns and experiences are so that we can be more conscious and deliberate about how we do choose to respond to any given circumstance. Yeah, I like that one. One of the observations, I am going to talk about the archetypes in just a minute, but one of the observations I've had watching CEOs over the years is I would meet someone on their route up to a CEO position and they would be, you know, a reasonable, pleasant, motivational kind of leader, you know, sort of inspiring even some of them. And then suddenly they become these hard-hitting, grumpy, angry (laughs) people. And I'm glad to know that it doesn't have to be a permanent state of affairs, but that it can be the series of experiences they encounter along the way. All right, so let's talk about these archetypes. You've said already that the archetypes are the things that help us be our better self. My words, not your words. Tell me about the five and um, sort of why these five and why only five? Well, start with explaining them to me. Okay. Um, well, archetypes, there's, there's literally thousands of archetypes we could select from a leadership point of view or from a personal development point of view. And I think the question of why five and why these five is, is a good one. Um, so the, the five archetypes that I've selected as ones that we need to give due consideration from a leadership point of view are the elder, the pioneer, the warrior, the diplomat, and the guardian. And these five archetypes emerged as I looked at what CEOs were really facing in their businesses. And there's a couple of tensions that they often face. There is 
depending on what's happening with the situation in their business development. Um, there's a tension between winning, like a competitive win, or a need to defeat competition, or a need to progress the organization. There's a sense of, of battle there. So there's a, there's a polarity between winning, and the other aspect of business focus is around building. So what are we creating? What are we moving forward? So sometimes we're on, in a bit of a winning um, focus, and sometimes we're in a building focus. And the other tension that we have is what are we progressing and what are we protecting or preserving? And that sort of move forward and hang on to the past is a, is a, is a dynamic that we often have to flow between. And when we look at each of those tensions, what emerges is, is an archetype that helps us move into that situation. Above all of them, though, like essential to all of them, which I think we need to consider embracing as our core archetype and gives flavor to the other four, is the elder. And the elder archetype appears across many different cultures, and they are seen as the wise and compassionate leader, the one who has had many different experiences, seen many different issues come undone or be resolved, and so has this repository of information and intelligence that can help guide others who uh, aren't necessarily necessarily so experienced. And if you think about elder, they're often, in in Aboriginal history here in Australia, they are often custodians of the uh, cultural lore of the community. And so they have learned over their years what the stories are, what the song lines are, um, the medicinal uses of many different trees and plants and animals in the, in the environment. So they are a wealth of knowledge, and they're also wise. Um, what I love about the elder is that it, it's got a real tempering flavor to it. So it helps us to imagine ourselves in difficult circumstance and ask ourselves, all right, if I'm an elder, if I'm exhibiting wisdom, which is the best of intelligence, and compassion, which is best of the heart, and I can stay stoic and peaceful, then how would I respond to this particular situation? And that kind of centeredness, that kind of composure, I think, is critical for us as leaders, no matter which other circumstance. So the the elder is the starting point. Um, Then when we look at the other four, they kind of go around, if you imagine a quadrant, then there's the tensions that we balance. If we are winning, and we're focusing on winning and being competitive um, and progressive in our work, and yet we're trying to protect our own patch, this embodies the energy of the warrior. And the warrior has got a fantastic energy to it. It embodies the energy of courage. It's about fighting the good fight. It's about standing up for what matters to us. It's about defending what's most important. Um, and I think there's an important aspect of worry that we need to be mindful of because it can't be tinged with the idea of destroying and, and, and killing our opposition. And that's not what we want. We want the elevated version of the warrior, which is about protecting what's most important while um, progressing and preserving rights, uh, rights for our community, rights for our business and that kind of thing. So the warrior is, is probably the most dynamic one in terms of energy outlay. At the other end of the spectrum, though, we also still focused on winning, and yet we want to progress. We don't necessarily always have to have the fight energy of the warrior. We can have the energy of diplomacy in the diplomat, which means that we are about negotiation. We want a win-win solution for all parties, and we take a, 
uh, a stoic approach to our interactions. And that's, that's the diplomat. And it's very different energy, as you can tell, to the warrior, which is very much uh, a fighting, um, oppositional kind of energy. Um, in, when we're trying to protect, like the warrior, and yet build at the same time, we can embody the energy of the guardian. And the guardian is actually quite a difficult archetype to to manage and to live into because it those two tensions are, are quite difficult. So we're trying to protect and preserve what's most important to us, our values, our traditions, and yet build forward and progress. It's it's it feels like an oppositional pull. And so the guardian has to walk a very fine line about, okay, what do we need to take with us and what can we move forward with? And they they often show up in businesses as the devil's advocate. They're the ones who say, hang on a minute, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. So they have a kind of put-on-the-brakes kind of approach to, to discussions and, and focus in the business. And the last one is the pioneer. And the pioneer has the most progressive energy to it. So they are all about building and progress. And it's, as the name, as the word implies, it's about creating. It's about exploring new territory. It's about taking risks. It's about... Um, leading with inspiration about a different kind of future. And so I think these these five archetypes I've found in my research and my reflection and my experience are ones that can give us really solid frameworks for us as leaders to embody good values and good influence approaches in these different contexts. Wow. That's a lot to digest. Hold on. I just got to like pause (laughs) and absorb (laughs) all of this one for a moment. So the five archetypes, just to repeat that for people listening, is the elder, the pioneer, the warrior, the diplomat, and the guardian. And the elder is the starting point. But I think I liked what you said most of all in that it's looking at a two-by-two matrix. Am I trying to fight for something that I believe in, that I want to um, defend, if you will, or am I trying to build something new? Oh, I got that backwards. Did I get that backwards? No, that's fight, right. Fight for something no, where I'm trying to good. build, and am I trying to progress, meaning advance, change, move to new, or am I in to protect? That, and I am yeah. such a believer in leadership that there is no single one side or the other on almost any dimension around leadership behaviors, that it's about holding the tension between polar opposites in the right balance for the moment in time. And here's another one. Am I winning or am I building? Am I protecting or am I progressing? And then out of that, the other four archetypes, warrior, garden, diplomat, and pioneer, come out. That makes a lot of sense to me. So a warrior as win and protect, a diplomat as win but trying to progress, to move forward, kind of compromise, win-win. I've got a guardian who's trying to build and protect. So it's holding the tension between those two. And I have a pioneer who's about building and progressing the next new and the next risk. Those tensions make a lot of sense to me, especially when you say sitting above that is the notion of the elder who's got the composure, who's got the experience, the wealth of wisdom, and who's drawing on the stores of their experience to try to come to a situation with both wisdom and compassion. Did I do okay? Yeah, that was a beautiful summary. <laughs> I guess there's, there's right. a couple of points I would add, too, is yeah. that why archetypes and why not styles? 
And archetypes create architecture for action. And so they, they have a deeply resonant story to them. That's what archetypes are. They're common stories that you're familiar with when we, when we state their name. It evokes all sorts of emotional energy and a picture in our head about how that type of person might operate as a leader. And that's far more powerful than thinking about, oh, do, am, I going to, uh, am I going to be stoic today or am I going to be demanding today? Like, those are qualities, but they have an energy to it, but they don't have a whole life to it. They don't have a whole story to it. And I think what we can do with archetypes is that we can, we can really help live into them in a holistic way by... Um, doing things like getting emblems or pictures that represent them. And one of the things I did in the book is I had these little drawings made up for each of the archetypes. So we have these little stick figures that represent them. And it's a useful way just to remind ourselves, like, these are caricatures or patterns that we can play with. And it's got a lot more richness, to I think, to it than just picking a particular style. Well, it's a little more memorable, too. There's something about because okay. I do yeah. create a whole image around the good warrior, if you will, um, or the pioneer and what that means and the kind of energy that they would have had to have done to both build and progress. And especially if I keep up with your notion of win versus build, progress versus protect, I think that makes that works really, really well for both memory and for, as you say, filling out the entire picture and the emotional energy that comes with that. All right. Now, you did a whole lot of research. This sounds like a nice, lovely thinking thing that you came up with, and I like it. I think it works. But you did a ton of research to get to these five. Can you just tell us, like, just, you know, some of the background work that led you to this conclusion? You know, like a lot of people, when we think about styles, many, many people around the world will have heard Myers-Briggs or MBTI. So you think about extroverts and introverts and intuitive types or sensitive data-driven types, for example. But you looked at those and decided that you preferred this pattern. And why is that? Yeah, I I think... um well, I mean, you mentioned one of them. One is that they're more memorable, and I think the patterns that are, that are evoked in story are more powerful, and it's easier for people to live into them than just to take a theory and apply it. Um, so that's one of the reasons behind it. And some of the reading I did around uh, Jungian psychology about shadow uh, was another key aspect of this. So one of the things we haven't mentioned is that each of these archetypes has a shadow, and I think that's a really important thing to be mindful of as well. Because these, the ones that I just described, were the positive articulated version of that. And mm-hmm. each archetype has a trigger that pulls them into the shadow, as in the not most wise and compassionate version of that archetype. And that's what really drew me in when I started looking at archetypes and how they function. Um, Young would say there's a collective unconscious and unconsciousness, and we can tap into that. And the the archetypes are patterns that we can draw on. Um, and he talks about shadow as when we resist something or criticize something in another, there's usually a suppressed part of ourselves that we're denying. Um, I like that as an idea, as a concept, that, that it helps us to bring awareness to where we're not showing up in our best selves. And when we are critical and negative towards others, we're not being the best version of ourselves. And we're not showing up with compassion. We're not showing up with wisdom. 
So the shadow triggers with these archetypes, I think, are probably worth sharing. Um, The elder has a shadow, and the trigger for the elder, which is really fascinating, is hubris. It's that sense of arrogance. Because what what can happen when we move into elderdom, when we desire to be this wise and compassionate being that other people seek to um, consult, if we allow our arrogance to seep in around that, that I am the one that they turn to, <laughs> it becomes our narrative, and we really buy our own story around that, become very self-focused, we can fall prey to the trap of arrogance. And what that turns us into is a tyrant. And one of the stories I tell in the book is how this can actually happen. Um, so if we think about Adam Newman, who is the former CEO of WeWork, he started off as a fantastic elder archetype, this grand vision of how we can create these communities of work, which are for the planet, for each other. And this whole, all the principles were kind of elder, elderdom principles. And yet as his company took off and he become, he became more and more loud as this creative, dynamic, charismatic leader, I think he bought into more of his own story. And the stories that appear in the news around him are about how tyrannical he became, how dismissive he was, how difficult it was to get access to him, some of the unilateral decisions he made, and some of the crazy things he started advocating for. And it's a classic spin of somebody who started off well in terms of this vision that's ethically driven and uh, got trapped in the hubris. Um, so each of the archetypes has a shadow pivot point, and that's the, the first one for the elders is hubris. Um, would you like me to touch on the other shadow trigger points? I love I just have to say that that single explanation describes two CEOs that I know that to go from being quite good leaders to being um, difficult leaders. Interesting. So that I will I will be pondering on that one for a while. All right. So that's for the elder. Yes, please tell us about the shadow side for the other archetypes as well. I will. I think in response to your observation, it's like how does a good leader turn bad? And the the common the common pattern in general is when we go focus when we change our focus from others to focus on ourselves is what causes the art, the shadow to emerge. And each of the archetypes has a particular quality around it. So the, the elder has hubris. The pioneer, um, their pivot point is about the thrill. And it's a bit of a, and their shadow is the gambler. And when I was researching pioneering CEOs, it was really fascinating what drives them. They get addicted to the dopamine of let's have a go and see if it turns out. And that thrill of the unknown causes them to, be, to have bigger and bigger risks. So that's how you can have spectacularly bad decisions made by different CEOs because they get, it's no longer about winning or progressing. It's about, it's about the thrill of the unknown. So they, they bet the farm, if you like, for the thrill of it. And the thrill, it's not quite so much greed as it is the thrill, the biochemical surge that we get from that sense of unknown and capitalizing on it that can trigger the gambler. So they move away. They lose sense of we're pioneering to create a, a better future to um, um, having it go because it feels good. <laughs> that self-focus emerges there. Um, for the warrior, the warrior can lose sight of what they are fighting for, and it becomes really about dominance and power. 
and there is a biochemical attraction to power as well um, that can really bring out the worst in us. So the warrior can very quickly turn bully, and they don't necessarily see that in themselves. They think they're still fighting the good fight, uh, but they've forgotten or they've lost awareness of what they're fighting for, and it becomes more about them as the hero leader, and they're completely blind to the fact that they're, they're being dominating. Um, the diplomat... <clears throat> The diplomat, when they lose sight of what they're negotiating for and what they're trying to create, they become the trickster. And it becomes about the winning for them, and it's about manipulation and control. So instead of coming up with a win-win solution, they get hooked on, I'm going to pull this deal off, and they become the trickster and manipulator. And lastly, the guardian. Um, the guardian is an interesting one. So the guardian operates this between the balance of protecting what matters most, the values, the traditions of an organization while progressing, and that's the guardian tension. And what can happen with the guardian is that they they can become so focused on what they believe is right and the answer that they become a fanatic, and that's their shadow. So their conviction uh, that they are right turns them inwards, like I'm right, you're wrong, and they become black and white in their thinking, and they lose the the ability to navigate that tension between protecting and, and building. And so they become, you know, ham, like hammering the table with their fists kind of thing and saying, no, 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 this is the way we need to go. We absolutely need to do this. We can't do that. And they lose their quality and asset of a devil's advocate to being more of a obstacle, I guess. So, yeah, those are the patterns that I've, that I've found in my research and my um, experience with different CEOs and leaders that what can a good thing can go bad <laughs> yeah without I, again I think this is really really powerful from my own point of view and I spend a lot of time with this kind of stuff I think it's a very powerful way in and I really like this framework of the trap the thing that can that lures you into being the really good version of the archetype if overplayed overindulged, you would say, or if you lose the sense of its purpose for the other, leads you right into that shadow side. That's fascinating. So let me just repeat it for people just to make sure everybody can keep track of this one. The elder gets trapped by the hubris and can become a a tyrant. The pioneer can get trapped by the thrill of the bet, the risk, and they can become a gambler. The warrior can lose sight of the purpose for the fight and they can become a dominant person or a bully. The diplomat can lose sight of what they're seeking and they turn into manipulative and control and they become the trickster. And the guardian can lose sight of the balance of the tension of their role and they become, they believe they have the single answer, in which case they become the fanatic. You got it. There's a lot to say in that as we look at our own leadership styles and what what pushes us over the edge where we're at risk for that shadow side coming up and then how do we draw our attention back. And you said that very clearly in terms of what we need to do is to get our focus on the other as opposed to on ourselves. But it also has incredible implications for if I'm working with somebody who has become a difficult leader, difficult personality, Mm -hmm. to recognize what's the trap that they've gotten caught into. It gives me a little bit of compassion, and it probably also gives me some clues about how to work with them. Yeah, that's great. 
And that, that's the thing. When we get trapped in the shadows, sometimes we're just not aware that, there was, that we're there um, because yeah. we've we've bought into this this story about who we are and what we're doing and we've lost sight of the impact that we're having. Okay. That makes perfect sense. All right, Zoe, this is a great place to take a pause and take a break and then come back. Um, um, My guest today is Zoe Roth. Zoe's latest book is called People Stuff, Simple Tools for Better Leadership. She has three other books, which you can find on her website, zoeroth.com, and that's spelled R-U-R-O-U-T-H, just in case you didn't understand my pronunciation. I love this notion of five archetypes, elder, pioneer, warrior, diplomat, guardian, their triggers or traps, their shadow side, and they're created by the tension of two dimensions, the desire to win versus the desire to build, and the effort to progress versus the effort to protect. When we come back, I want to talk now about the four devils. I think we've already sort of covered that, but I want to talk about what do we do to bring out our better self. I also want to talk about how conflict comes out of these archetypes. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Zoe Roth. Zoe has four books, Composure, Moment, Loyalty, and her latest one, People Stuff, Simple Tools for Better Leadership. And Zoe's an expert on helping teams and leaders do the people stuff, the stuff that gets in our way of producing results and the stuff that lights us up. And we've just been talking about her archetypes, the five archetypes that she finds are particularly relevant for leadership. The triggers or traps for each of those and the shadow side that comes out. All right. So we've talked about those in a good bit of detail. I want to talk now about this thing called the four devils, Zoe. And you say these are the things that distract us, that get us off track, um, separate from all the traps in the shadow side. Explain how this works and what these are. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the devils of people stuff. 
When I was looking at problematic people behavior and the kind of issues that readers talk to me about, um, I started to notice these different patterns that came up all the time. And some of the problematic behaviors that we often have to contend with with leaders are things like silos. You know, I often have in conversations with CEOs about their executive team, and it's like they're just so stuck looking after their own patch, and they just don't want to collaborate and cooperate. And so, And there's sort of this fierce focus on their own patch, so the silos is an issue. Um, then there's things like turf wars, when people get really competitive with each other, and they, they argue and compete over resources, um, and that's, that's a particular set of problems. And then we have the emotional side of things, where you have uh, staff who are arguing and, and frustrated and emotional around different uh, issues. And then you have these other behaviors where you have staff who are just don't seem to show up on an even keel. They're up and down, they're up and down, and they're like an energy vampire. They're difficult to be around. And so these, these were the kind of patterns I was hearing leaders talk about. And as I dug into them, I started to name the patterns. It gave them kind of like the archetypes, but gave them <laughs> different kind of elemental names. Um, and the first one is the firebug. And uh, the firebug, as you can guess, like as you can imagine, kind of feeds anger and dissent in an organization. And they often are at, in turf war. So they're really competitive with their other people, and they often fire up um, posses of discussion and angst around particular issues. Um, and what drives the firebug well, actually, what drives all of the four devils is a sense of loss or fear of loss. That's the primary thing. Fear of loss manifests in these difficult behaviors because people go into survival mode. So this leans on a little bit of the neuroscience of, um, of that sh- talks about how the brain reacts when it's under threat. Um, and the brain, when it's under threat, releases all sorts of biochemicals, adrenaline, cortisol, and it sharpens and narrows our focus and puts us in our least collaborative state, in our most aggressive or um, frightened state. And this is what happens when the four devils emerge. It's basically we get triggered by a fear of loss, and there's a couple of different senses of loss, which I'll go through, and we get argumentative or we shut down. So it's the fight or flight mechanism and the freeze mechanism that gets triggered by these fear of losses. So the firebug, when it's triggered, it's usually because they are facing down a loss of power um, or a loss of autonomy. And this can put people into a fight modality. So depending on whether we have a response to threat that is a fight response or a flight response, these different behaviors can come up. So the firebug generally gets triggered by this sense of loss of power and autonomy. So if you think about a change initiative uh, and the change is being done to your people, then sometimes you'll get these arguments about the change, and that's the firebug sparking up because they're losing their sense of power and control over their universe. Um, so this firebug behavior can be quite challenging. And I think between some people, when they get triggered, express their sense of threat through behavior, and some of it express it uh, verbally. So depending whether you're more of a trend to a fighter or a flighter. The firebug is, expresses it verbally, so they can be the argumentative type that's always fighting, if you like. Turf wars is their domain. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, when we, have, when we are triggered by 
overperformance or loss of performance, that can create, that can send us underground. The loss of performance can send us underground. What that means is that when we are faced down with a whole heap of work uh, because of change in circumstance, like a lot of leaders when in dealing with the pandemic had to change a lot about their operations and had to contend with lots of different uh, issues, and this meant a whole lot of work uh, for people. So I work with a couple of universities and uh, in the teaching and learning space, and all the teaching and learning professionals were all of a sudden lumped with a massive load of work to try and transition all of their courses online. So a lot of them went into survival mode, and this loss of performance had them burying themselves in their work. They weren't interested in collaborating because they were just hanging on, and so silos really got solidified in that type of thing. So ground splitters, they they can just bury themselves a little bit, and they can go underground in their defense uh, because they don't have the energy and don't feel comfortable in sharing their concerns. So that can be quite a problematic thing. Um, the storm driver is somebody who has been triggered by uh, loss of position, and that means loss of status. And it's, this is such a fascinating trigger. Um, most people, most leaders, when I talk to them about loss of status, is triggered like, ah, I don't have that problem. I don't have. I don't have a status thing. I'm like all of us have a status issue of some sort. Anytime we are not. Um, respected for our experience or authority or expertise, we can get triggered into the storm driver. And what happens is that we can have an emotional expression of our discontent around this loss of status. And so we become an emotional, argumentative person. And if you've ever had a discussion with somebody who's so overwrought and, uh, but we can't hear their message for their emotion. All we hear and experience is their emotion as opposed to the message because because their brain is so fired with adrenaline cortisol, a survival threat, they tend to talk in circular patterns. And so what we see and experience is their emotional, um, emotional storm and not the logic of their argument. So the storm driver can be quite difficult uh, to deal with. And the last one is the water bomber. And the water bomber is when we get triggered by loss of place. So our sense of belonging is threatened somehow. We've been excluded from something or there's been a change in the workplace and we don't, we're now being put on a different team where we're, we don't feel included and we don't, we're not welcomed into that team. That can cause us to have all sorts of emotional responses of, of fear and uh, we can shut down. And the water bomber can be, they can either be like an emotional vampire where they just weep and cry and are demonstrative in that way or the opposite. They can just shut down and become a total clam. And both of them are very difficult to be around and very difficult to engage from a collective point of view. Um, so each of these four devils are triggered by the fear of loss, some type of loss, and they manifest their poor behavior either through behavior or through uh, communication through expression. And depending on the, someone's nature or their trends or patterns, they can default into one of these four patterns. But I guess the, probably the most, the other and really interesting thing about it, so these patterns are interesting looking at the triggers, but if we peel back the layers in an organization, this is where we can get some real traction as a leader because it's not personality driven. It's systems that often drive these personality problems. <laughs> so personality problems are a misnomer, I reckon, and that it's more about what is happening in the organization. 
in the systems of the organization that will create these triggers. What is creating the fear of loss? And there's four key systems that I've noticed cause these reactions in people. And it's the way that the leaders and organizations have their remuneration systems, their promotion systems, their recognition systems, and their delegation systems. And if these are not well-structured, well-thought-out, values-based or transparent, then we can fire up the four devils. It's, It's quite fascinating, really. This is an interesting, um, every time I work with a group and we talk about quote-unquote difficult personalities, I remind people that while that might be difficult for you, it's not necessarily difficult for somebody else. So when I say difficult, I mean quote-unquote from some perspective. But what I like about this approach is the recognition that all of us are capable of these four devils and they're triggered Mm. by a particular sense of loss or a fear that we're going to lose. And it's that it's the system, it's what's happening in the organization that sets up that loss or that fear of loss. And then we get the behavior, the communication, the emotion coming out of that fear of loss. Um, And fits brilliantly with what I believe about defensive behavior and how we push people into defensive corners or how they push themselves into defensive corners. So just to make sure I've got these straight, the firebug is the one that seeds a lot of anger and dissent, and it's driven by a fear of um, loss of power or autonomy. The That's ground correct. splitter kind of tends to go underground and become very impossible to find or deal with or know what's going on, and that leads to kind of more silos or individualistic behavior just protecting themselves, and it's a fear of loss of performance, often driven by a workload issue. A storm driver um, can become an emotional wreck, like they're just emotionally all over the place, and that's driven by a loss of position or status where they feel like they're not respected or experience is not respected. And the water bonner, mm. I said, is a loss of the community, that sense of belonging, um, and people can either shut down or become quite emotionally volatile, weeping and crying, and it can go both ways. Did I get that reasonably straight? Uh, very good. <laughs> yeah, you captured it. I guess um, the, t- the two patterns, too, is that the really expressive ones um, are the firebug and the storm driver. So they're the okay. ones who will speak up. And the ones that will not tend to speak up and to kind of hide away and have corrosive behaviors um, behind the scenes are the ground splitter in particular. So they can do white anting and backbiting because mm-hmm. they don't necessarily either have the skills and ability to express themselves fully and the water bomber who can shuts down or, or just bubbles away, but they are not able to articulate themselves either what's going on for them. So in terms of solutions to this, some of, sometimes it is some advanced emotional intelligence training for the team that helps with this so that people learn how to identify what's happening to them and to process their emotional state. So I think there's an element of let's build the emotional capacity of the individuals on the team that can help. That's sort of surface-level intervention. Um, but I think digging underneath all of that is like, what's happening in the organization? You know, systems drive behaviors. So what, what are we creating? What have we created and, and are triggering in the organization that can cause these devils to emerge? Yeah. Um, 
I think, you know, when we speak about systems, I think that we make changes in organizational processes or systems with really good intent, with really good plans, with the intention of driving particular kinds of behavior. And we often don't see the consequences of those choices until a while down the road. And a while down the road might even be two, three, four years where you have something else coming out. Um, and I'm going to give you an example just because it's on my mind at the moment, is a client who changed, um, who had such an egalitarian all-in, we all care about each other, and they changed their remuneration system and their recognition system to acknowledge some of the star players. And as a result, mm. for all good reasons, for all lots, you know, drive performance, all that good thing, but as a result, you now have people being much more of the silo behavior. So the ground splitters, they're going underground oh, yeah. rather than, yeah. you know, trying to do the collaborative, we're in this together and let's build it all together. So you can see how a change in a system has a long-term consequence on a culture of an organization. So if I'm leading a team and I recognize that I've got individuals or collections of individuals that are being firebugs, ground splitters, water bombers, and storm drivers. And I look at the, what, how, do I approach, how do I deal with this? What do I do? First, I look at the systems, but help me from there. Oh, um, I think, <laughs> well, dealing with them one-on-one is, first of all, is, is giving them space to be heard. Uh, because that mm-hmm. can help unplug the amygdala so they get out of survival mode and into a bit more constructive conversation. Uh, so when we show up with compassion and we and curiosity with each of these um, devils, then if we get our humans back, <laughs> the devils dissipate a little bit and we can actually have uh, constructive conversations around them. Um, looking at the systems, is like, well, can we change the systems? Uh, do we, what do we need to tweak? And having conversations about uh, these issues with people can help um, craft change. I think asking people what they think is fair is a really powerful question because everybody's perception of fairness is different, and that's what, often what triggers the storm driver, this whole status and fairness issue. Uh, so I think having, having curiosity and having conversations that are focused around Curiosity is the main thing, um, and trying to allay or reassure some of these things. So each of each of the solutions has a particular set of strategies. So with the firebug, loss of power is there is there a particular thing? So we can talk about how we can make clear what are the um, what are the reporting lines, what are responsibilities for different people. What are the communication strategies? So we can make more articulate and more visible and transparent what are the um, decision-making flows so that the firebug knows a little bit more, can embrace a little bit more the flow of that structure, and so they can, they can feel more adjusted into that. So that's one way of handling um, those particular issues. For the storm driver, when it's loss of position and status that triggers them, we can make a concerted effort to uh, be focused on acknowledging people's contributions. So this is really about acknowledgement and recognition. That's one of the key things that we can do to help reassure the storm driver. For the water bomber, this is all about belonging. So we need to take stewardship of our team and start creating rituals 
and approaches that that include everybody, that recognize everybody, and or encourage everybody to participate. So it's really our leaders. Our leadership focus at that point is about team cohesion and team trust and team intimacy. And for the ground splitter, <clears throat> there's a couple of things here. One is to look at what is the workload going on here, and is it is reasonable or not. And so doing a technical approach to solving that problem is, is the first thing. And the second thing is because the ground splitter can really be corrosive behavior, that sort of white-handing kind of thing, not just silos, but the white-handing in particular is difficult, then we need to ask ourselves, have we created a team culture where people feel safe and able to communicate their discontent, their challenge, their um, they're questioning of what's going on. And if the answer to that is no, then again, we've got some team development work to, to do. We've got to lay the groundwork of what is acceptable team behavior, what is the expectation of raising concerns, and as leaders that we need to lead the way and demonstrate what it means to show up honestly, to be open-hearted, to share where we have foibles and we have concerns and fears, and to, be, to model our own advanced emotional intelligence where we can say, like, I'm fearful or I have concerns around this, but not let our emotions be in the driver's seat. We have emotions. We put them in the passenger seat, but we stay centered. We keep our elder at the, um, in the driver's seat. And so by modeling that kind of behavior, we can help create the pattern of interactions, which allows more constructive conversations around what are the issues for people around these losses. So quite often I find in teams that have these devils alive and active, the the embedding the groundwork for good team dynamics is sometimes missing or has been neglected for some time. So coming back to good team energy hygiene, I think is one of the other critical interventions we can do. Great. It's um. This is it's such a simple system, five archetypes and four devils, and I get you know, and I love the richness of the metaphors as we said already in the stories that you can imagine. But there is so much richness of understanding how these things play out, the dynamics between the two of them, what the actions are, what the systems are that are driving it, and therefore what my action as a leader of an organization can be to alter the culture. Um, and I love this last bit, too, about recognizing what it is that each of the devils need to dissipate a bit. So a firebug is a loss of authority, so they need more clarity on the power lines and authority, more trans- transparency, I guess you'd say. Storm, storm driver is a loss of recognition, so they need that recognition coming back. And a water bomber is a loss of belonging, so they need more trust and intimacy. And a ground splitter is a workload, so we need to figure out how to deal with that workload and how to raise concerns. Um, And I can see how leaders would come at this and say to somebody who's being, for example, a firebug, they might say, oh, just calm down. You still have plenty of power. Don't worry about it. But that kind of dialogue isn't going to work. Now, why? Well, if you've ever talked to somebody who's angry and tell them to calm down, it just makes them more angry. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so that's one of the reasons, you know. So I think there's, biochemically, if somebody's that fired up and they're argumentative or emotional, then what we need to do is take a time out. So we need to go, right. I can, we acknowledge your feelings. I can see that you're upset or frustrated. 
let's take a 10-minute break or 15-minute break, get a cup of tea, walk around the block, and come back, and let's talk through the issues. I'm really keen and curious to hear about what's going on for you. So you can't actually have a constructive conversation when somebody is so fired up by their amygdala, like they're just in survival mode. So they're, they don't have access to their frontal lobe, uh, their neocortex, and so they can't actually do that. They have temporary disconnect. Um, a colleague of mine, Dr. Alan Watkins, calls this a do-it-yourself lobotomy. I've <laughs> <For> that <laughs> primed and triggered. Um, in t- if, if it's us, if we are being triggered, and we are humans too, we often get triggered, then the first circuit breaker is simply breathing. Um, Okay, bringing our attention to our breath and breathing rhythmically and evenly. This is Dr. Alan Watkins' uh, suggestion again. You can watch his TED Talks. They're amazing. Um, and just breathing regular, rhythmically and evenly for 90 seconds will help bring our um, frontal lobe back online. And it um, will help us calm our nervous system so that we can actually think rationally again. Um, the other part of his suggestion is he breathes rhythmically and evenly with focus on the heart because the heart it actually is a massive producer of energy, much more so than the brain. The brain has a lot of firing, like neurons firing between each other, but the heart is a concentrated outpouring of energy. So when we breathe rhythmically and evenly through the heart focus, that can help even out our nervous system and our emotional response. So we can actually talk the people that we're with around that. It's like, okay, let's take a time out. Let's like just do some breathing here. Let's go for a walk and we can get our, um, our brains back in line if you like. So some of this is is a biohack to start off with before we get into the complex dynamics of what the fears are, the losses are, and the restructuring of the dynamics and interactions and systems that need to take place. All week I have been saying to clients that if I ever get you, this is in one particular company, if I ever get you to all to understand that you have to meet the person with the emotion that they have present first, then you can go to the logic. Mm. I will be out of a job. But I think this is what you're saying is that people have emotions. We don't want them to be in the driver's seat. I love your phrase. They want to be in the passenger seat. But they are present in there. So is true for me. And these are all mechanisms for learning how to put some labels on those emotions and how to get some Mm -hmm. reins around them and not let those be what's making our decisions. We want to get our brains back in gear a bit. So I like that. If a good way to do a frontal lobotomy is <laughs> all of this emotional <laughs> hijack. Okay, yeah. so we, there are thousands of things that we could talk about here. We haven't talked about how the archetypes get in conflict with each other and what that means. We haven't talked about how trust impacts is impacted by both the archetypes, the triggers, and the devils. I feel like there is so much more that we could say, but sadly, we are out of time. Oh, <laughs> I agree. Oh, because there's so much here. I want to say again, the archetypes are elder, pioneer, warrior, diplomat, and guardian. And the four devils, if I can remember them all, are the firebug, the storm driver, the water bomber, and the ground splitter. So the archetypes are can each get triggered and have a shadow side, but they are the things that help us move forward in a constructive way, and the devils are the things that detract us. Each of these, we want to look at what's happening in the systems that are leading us to act in one particular way. Zoe, so much here. Thank you for being a guest on the show. 
Oh, it's been my pleasure, Wanda. Thank you so much. And the book, again, if you're interested, is called People Stuff, Simple Tools for Better Leadership. I should also say her other three books back up the development around this people stuff as well. Join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.